0: My name is Mark Reed Bulatovic, and I'm here with Kalm Kumber. Together, we formed the duo Besingende Gedaland, and we're currently in the process of writing an album. In this series, Wordlenda, we speak to a guest every week who has some connection to the landscape in their day to day practice. Today, we're joined by Isla Radcliffe, a Scottish fiddle player, singer, and composer with a background in classical violin and piano. Isla's work is underpinned by her interests in cultural politics the environment, spoken word, theatre, and music's positive impact on well-being. Aged 16, she won the lyrics category of Amnesty International's Power of Our Voices protest songwriting competition with her song Death Row. And in 2019, she devised a musical theatrical work, a reawakened monument of antiquity. So Isla, could you just tell us a bit about how you got into folk music in the first place?
1: Yep, absolutely. So. I grew up with traditional music. My mum plays fiddle. um, So she was always teaching me fiddle tunes in my spare time. Um, I went to a few fiddle workshops for children when I was little. Um, And in general, I grew up going to lots of Cayleys and just listening to lots of traditional music in the car. Um, But as you say, the only formal education that I got was classical music, so classical violin and piano. Um, So it was really when I went to do my undergraduate degree at Oxford, where I studied music, um, that I became more involved in traditional music. I joined the Oxford University Cayley Band. And yeah, that was really the start of me doing more and more traditional music in my life. I think there were two things that really drew me to traditional music. Um, One was the sociability of it. So, you know, anyone could turn up to that rehearsal. Everyone was welcomed, Um, you know, you'd be handed the sheet music or you'd learn by ear. We'd go to the pub afterwards, have a chat. It was a very welcoming environment. Um, And secondly, the creativity of it. So the idea that you can take a tune and play it as you want to play it. Um, So all traditional tunes have a very simple structure, A, B, some of them have c and d parts but it's rare um so they're easy to pick up it's a nice kind of neat format to have music in um so it's accessible and also it's not written as in a way that's kind of set in stone you can do what you want with it so I think you know I I still very much love classical music I still play it I still teach it but the whole approach of traditional music really drew me.
0: Hmm. Uh, Could you just maybe define what What's the difference between folk music and traditional music? Uh, so folk music, I guess, is what people might describe what you do. But would you describe yourself as playing more traditional music?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's a tricky question. I think it's it really just depends where you come from and what term is used in whatever musical community you live in. Um, I can only speak from personal experience and personal observation. Um, but from what I've seen, um, the word traditional and the word trad is mostly used in Scotland. The word folk is mostly used in England. And then in North America, they use the term Celtic music. Um, now, of course, that's not you know hard and fast rule. There are exceptions to that. But I think, yeah, it, it's a strange thing where there's all these different words that are used to describe the same kind of music. Um, so there, there's been lots of academic writing done on it, on what each of them, what the connotations of each term is. Um, but for me, I use the word traditional or trad.
0: I, I just wonder if the the traditional aspect of it is kind of like, uh, like you know, classical music is in a way traditional, you know, because you, you're following these very mm. like restricted um, performance directions and ways of playing, I suppose. So does the folk music you you play does it have a bit more uh, emphasis on like the, the past of traditions of you know maintaining traditions rather than just being completely um, free i suppose
1: yeah i mean that's a tricky thing i think with with every single one of the terms i've listed traditional trad celtic folk um there are problems with them um because they kind of bring up these connotations that they perhaps don't, not everyone means. Um, So yes, the word traditional, you could think of it as, well, it's based in the past. Um, It's all about playing old music um, and continuing that tradition. Whereas I think now anyway, in Scotland, traditional musicians are, yes, they're rooted to the past, but the idea of tradition is, it's Hamish Henderson's carrying stream. Amish Henderson was a Scottish folklorist in the 50s, 60s. Um, He was very involved in the Scottish folk revival. Um, And he had this idea of the carrying stream, which is that, you know, tradition, as in songs, stories, tunes, dances, are one thing, one year, but they get carried along the stream and they evolve um, as time goes on. Um, But even just in my answer there, you know, I said Scottish folk revival, it was called folk in the 50s 60s but then the term has evolved so um yeah y- to be honest you could write a whole phd on this <laughs> mm,
0: mm. i really like that description because it it kind of plays into i guess some of the motifs of in in trad music mm. like you know having these natural motifs hills mm, yeah, streams yeah absolutely uh animals you know i just wonder how uh modern players like do you think it's hard for them to connect uh, because we live in a much more distant world than this rural uh world that a lot of this stuff depicts
1: yeah absolutely i think it depends um how much you know about traditional music um so it's very easy if if you don't know anything about it, to think that it is something that's completely based in the past and it's kind of associated with a rural landscape, which we don't really have so much anymore. Um, We still have rural landscapes, but the lifestyle associated with them um, isn't the same as it was 200 years ago. Um, But I think, you know, the more that you get to know traditional music, you realize that yes, there are a lot of tunes that are about nature or are very much connected to a particular landscape. Um, but that is, you know, it's, it's a present reality. A person who writes a tune about a particular landscape is in their reality right now. Um, they are still experiencing that, rea- that landscape, sorry. Um, so perhaps there's a disconnect, but I think the more that you get to know traditional music, the more you realize that it is actually in the now.
0: Mm. I suppose that we have a, a fresh unbiased opinion here uh, from Callum uh, who wasn't brought up in Scotland. So what was your, what's your view of folk music or, or trad music uh, in general, Callum? Uh,
2: I, I guess my, my conception of folk music is probably the, the cliched one that anyone who doesn't know an awful lot about folk music has. Um, so I, ideas about r- romantic landscapes and, um, people doing you know simple agricultural things in landscapes um mm. quite connected although I, yeah I'm not, I'm not sure that that's that's what it is
1: but you know I think you'd you'd speak to different musicians and perhaps some of them would different folk musicians I mean and perhaps some of them would say that um I think it really varies depending on what um I guess in the way like how how was folk or traditional music presented to you when you were growing up? Um, so for me personally, it was it was something that brought people together. Um, you know, you'd go to a Cayley and the band would be playing lots of traditional tunes, and that was a it was an event for socializing. Um and then, you know, when I started to play more traditional music myself, um, the music making in itself was a social activity.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, it's, so, yeah. it's so important to, to keep that social aspect of it um, re- really in the foreground. Um, I mean, I guess my experience of, of that kind of community uh, would be f- from the new music scene in Manchester. Uh, so well, Cal knows about this too. Um, mm. We both study there and, uh, you know, going to these concerts of strange music uh, after there would always be time for, you know, going to the pub, debating things, um, d- discussing uh, what the music was about, mm. but also other things happening socially, politically. Um, I guess the slight difference is that there, there's no barrier to entry when you go to a free improv uh, group. You know, you, you don't even need to know how to play an instrument. It's just completely free. And maybe with folk there's or, or traditional music, there's a bit more of a barrier to entry. Uh, because you know you need to actually know how to play the tunes
1: yeah yeah no absolutely i, I think I, I can see quite a lot of parallels in terms of the you know you, you just turn up and you're welcomed and you join in um i think it depends on the particular the particular session that you're going to um some of them are perhaps more welcoming than others um, i wouldn't name any names but you know there are sessions that i personally wouldn't go to because the tunes are just played really, really fast. There's a bit of a clique going on in terms of the musicians that are welcomed. Um, but, you know, I don't think that's the majority. There are, there are lots and lots of sessions where anyone is welcomed. So.
0: Yeah, um, definitely one of my top musical experiences uh, happened just after a gig I played with my old folk band uh, in, the, in the captain's bar, just off Nicholson Street. Um, and we were just playing there and this Irish uh, singer, she came up to us and asked if she could sing a song and we all kind of accompanied her and it was just this like, it was just so beautiful, like collectivist, uh, impromptu, uh, spontaneous kind of thing, you know, um, which is everything that's great about music, mm. but then on the flip side of that, I've also been the sessions where, you know, not as a, really as a folk player, um, it's just been like, play the right chords boy <laughs> don't, don't step out of line <laughs> uh kind of thing and it's just interesting yeah. that there's such a um variety mm. i guess
1: yeah yeah i guess like you know i i don't like sessions that are not welcoming or that as you say are like very dogmatic in terms of what's allowed and um but then i guess maybe it's a nice thing that there's some variety um Maybe that speaks to kind of the flexibility of this type of music that you can, you know, some people think it is one thing and some people think it's another thing. Um, So it's quite fluid. But yeah, certainly like I've had, you know, similar experiences where you just, I turn out to a session and then I'm there for a few hours. And just after those few hours, I've found my new best friend we've just been playing tunes together solidly for a few hours so um no it's, it's lovely and like you know as I say that, that sociability that is one of the main things that drew me to it I think in classical music I mean again I still love it I still play it I still teach it but it's the idea of sitting in an orchestra and doing what you're told to do didn't really sit right with me you know there's such a hierarchy of who sits where and what that means and the status that comes along with that and you must wear black um, and you must sit in this particular formation um yeah I found it quite a welcome contrast
0: I thought you could maybe just tell us a little bit about your trip to Cape Breton in Canada Uh, and it, it just strikes me that you seem to learn more about your own kind of traditional style of music when you leave so you kind of got more into folk music i guess studying in oxford and then learnt more about the traditional side uh, in cape breton like you mentioned last time so uh, can you just do you think do you, think you kind of have to leave to appreciate what you have at home
1: i think well just to briefly touch on the oxford experience i think yes I was drawn to traditional music folk music there because of the sociability and the creativity but it was also because it was it reminded me of home um at in a place where I didn't particularly feel very at home a lot of the time um going along to these Kayleigh band rehearsals on Tuesday nights was it reminded me of home because it was the music that I'd grown up listening to um so yes maybe you do have to go away in order to realize what you have at home um and yes I guess similar experience in Cape Breton so I mean by that time I'd been doing I was doing my master's at the Conservatoire in Glasgow and I that was I went to Cape Breton in the first term of my second year so I'd already done a year of my master's in Glasgow um went to Cape Breton to be honest not really knowing much about it um, I knew that they played lots of fiddle and piano. They had a very particular fiddle style and piano style. Um, they do a lot of step dancing. There's a lot of Gaelic there. And that is really about the extent of my knowledge, which is <laughs> quite shameful really. But um, yeah, no, when I was there, I think, well, the first month that I was there, I just totally fell in love with the place. Um, the people are some of the kindest people I have ever met. They were so welcoming Um, and, you know, that goes for the music scene as well. I went to two sessions every week and everyone welcomed me with open arms. They welcomed anyone who walked in the door with open arms. Um, And it was just this, I think I was really taken in by how much they cared about the tradition um, and how much this meant to them and how much it's important role in bringing the community together. So I I guess in that first month, I learned a lot about um, the tradition in Cape Breton, which is very much derived from the tradition in Scotland because of all the emigration to Cape Breton. Um, But then one of my most kind of memorable musical experiences took place in Cape Breton at a gig at Celtic Colours Festival in October. So Celtic Colours Festival is 10 days. I think it's 10 days. uh, It's a 10 day festival where we've got Cape Breton musicians, but also musicians from all over the world who are somehow playing Celtic music. Again, that term, who knows what it means. Um, And so one of the bands that came over was a band from the Conservatoire in Glasgow. So it was a band of lots of my friends. And I went to one of their gigs and To put some context in it up until this point I'd kind of been very taken in by the the tradition in Cape Breton that is very much based in the past and the kind of authenticity of it the kind of you know this is how it was done and so we're continuing this tradition and so we still do it the same way today so I'd very much been taken in by that um so in all honesty when I went to see this gig of my friends from the conservatoire, I kind of thought, mm, this isn't going to be like proper traditional music. It'll be some kind of contemporary take on it. Um, and yet, the like literally within 30 seconds of them starting playing, I started crying. And I was crying for the entirety of their 45 minute set. And it was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had because I was just like, wow, why am I having such a strong emotional reaction to this? Um, And I think it's two things. I think one was the specific music that they were playing. You know, there was a lot of contemporary tunes in there that are kind of the style that a lot of traditional musicians in Scotland are composing right now. Um, so the first tune that made me cry was a tune that my friend Chloe had written called The Happy Lamp. And it's a jig that is very much, it, it's its just so typical of the jigs that are written right now. Um, so that made me cry. And then it was also their approach to music making. You know, again, it goes back to this creativity thing. It was very much a creative process. And it was also very individualized and personalized. You know, that band had spent however many hours together together picking the material that they wanted to play and arranging it in the way that they wanted to play it. And so, yeah, it was one of the, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but it really was a turning point in the way that I view music and tradition, because I suddenly realized how much tradition, I suddenly realized what tradition means for me. And that is that it's very personal. You know, I cried at that music because it's the music that I hear in my own tradition which at the time was in glasgow um so i guess it highlighted for me that tradition yes it's rooted in the past this idea of the carrying stream but it is just that it's a carrying stream it's evolving and so for me traditional music connects me to i guess the experiences i've had in my own life and the people i've met in my own life so it's the music that i grew up with and that I'm used to in my present tradition, not necessarily 200 years ago, because I wasn't alive then. Mm,
0: mm, I I really appreciate the emphasis on on the folk music in the contemporary landscape. Um, But I suppose you've also done projects that deliberately look into the past and into the traditions. So could you just tell us a bit about your um, uh, recent performance projects?
1: So A reawakened Monument of Antiquity was a project that I did in 2019 and it was based on a tune collection called A Collection of Highland Vocal airs, or as it's more commonly known the Patrick MacDonald Collection and this was a collection that was published in 1784 and it's one of the first tune collections that we have in Scotland Um, so it's one of the first time that people took the care to write down the tunes rather than just passing it on by ear. Um so I had a look at this collection and yes, there's great music in it, but it was actually the preface to it and the introduction that kind of drew me in. And I suddenly realised that there was a whole um, context to it, cultural, political context that was really interesting. Um, I was really interested by why Patrick and Joseph MacDonald were so um, motivated to collect all these tunes and write them down. Um, And just in general, the context of what role that music played in Scotland at that time. So I wanted to arrange the tunes um, for performance. There was a particular module that I was doing at RCS. Um, But I also wanted to do something a bit more than that. So I included some spoken word. um, And the aim of the project was to inspire the listener today to think about some of these issues that were important just in 1784 Scotland, and how do they apply in Scotland today? Um,
0: yeah, and I guess for more uh, recent issues, you've also done research into kind of the music music's effect, uh, uh, specifically on the independence referendum. So could you just tell us a bit about how you actually conducted that research and what the outcome was, I guess?
1: Sure. So it was for my undergraduate dissertation at the end of my music degree in Oxford. Um, So the dissertation was about the role of music in the Scottish independence referendum debate. Um, So I interviewed, I think it was about 20 musicians who had in some way played a part in the debate through their music. it happened that most of them were from the yes movement, but I did manage to get some from the no movement as well. Um, So I interviewed them, asked them, you know, first of all, what music did you play? What kind of events did you put on? And then secondly, why did you do it? What role do you think that played? And do you think that music had an important play, uh, an important role to play in the general debate? Um, And then the actual dissertation I broke it down into four parts. So there was um, recollection, aspiration, community, and borders. And so, looking at those four themes, how did music fit into those four themes and play a part in the debate? Um, But, you know, there there were lots of common themes that came up. So there is this idea of the Scottish cringe and the idea that not so much now, but certainly, you know, a few decades ago, that Scottish people were are perhaps a bit ashamed of their own culture. They don't want to really claim it as their own and um, they don't see it as something that's cool, perhaps. And I think, you know, over the past 20, 30 years in traditional music, that is something that's completely changed. You know, young people are playing loads and loads of what is now called trad music. It's become something that is quite cool. Um, so, you know, a lot of those themes came up. Um,
0: and just in general, what is the the role of music in politics?
1: I think, I think there's several different roles. You can look at classic protest songs, which is people literally taking their political thoughts and adding music to it as a way of perhaps, you know, engaging audiences through music rather than just talking to them. Um, then you've also got, um, you know, classical music has some politics in it. You've got Shostakovich who was through his music um, kind of protesting against the Soviet regime. Um, then you've also got the kind of um, political music that I quite like, which is the musician is kind of laying all the issues on the table and it's up to the listener to think about those issues and come to their own conclusion. Um, So one of the examples of this was, which I actually discovered in my research for my dissertation, was something called the bus party which was a group of artists who, they were pro-independence, but they didn't explicitly say that they were pro-independence. And they went around Scotland in a bus touring and at each venue, they would do a little performance, which was music, stories, theater. And each performance was about the issues that were being debated that were being debated in the at the time of the independence referendum but they weren't explicitly saying well therefore we should vote yes you know it was a more kind of these are the issues that we can consider now i'm going to leave it up to you to decide whether that means that we should vote yes and that that is not the nece- that's not necessarily the answer you could look at those issues and think well then we should vote no um but that's kind of that's the kind of political music mm. and political art that I really like because it's not kind of telling you what to think. It's offering the issues to you, and you can decide mm. for yourself what you think. So, yeah, I, I think there's lots of different roles that music can play.
2: Isn't it kind of a a thing in itself though that Scotland chooses to even use music as a way to to debate? Because I guess you could compare that to how we tackled um deciding whether or not to leave or stay in the eu and we also had you know people riding around in buses but they weren't playing violins <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's true <laughs> um, and maybe the result would have been different if they did
2: <laughs> well yeah yeah buy boris a violin for
1: his birthday or something yeah <laughs> um Yes, absolutely. It was actually an interesting uh, finding from my research, which was that there was more music in the yes movement than in the no movement. Now you can take from that what you want. Um, There are so many different conclusions to draw from that. Um, But even that aside, there was, yes, there was a lot of music and a lot of culture involved in the debate in general. I think that's partly because you know the issue of independence brings up the issue of identity and the issue of identity includes culture so but then again so did brexit so yeah gosh i i yeah again you could write a whole phd on that um <laughs> i think in general just from my memory of the debate i was 16 and 17 at the time um and yeah in general I think there was just this lovely kind of blossoming of lots of cultural events and lots of discussions and at the end of the day there was a particular result but I think as a result of the debate a lot of issues were discussed that weren't commonly discussed before Um, political issues and also cultural issues like you know what does playing the bagpipes, is that necessarily Scottish nationalism? Well, no, because bagpipes are also commonly used in the British army. So, you know, there's things like that, where you can interpret a piece of culture as meaning one thing or another. Um, yeah, no, it is It is an interesting thing, that there was a lot in the independence referendum debate, but not not in Brexit.
2: I'm sure some people would say that the, the British army using bagpipes was... Um colonialism.
1: Yeah, maybe they would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think maybe the, you know, you're asking about what's the role of music in politics? Um, I think the example that I've just given highlights that you can use music for one political end or for another political end, it just depends how you present it to be honest um yeah so you know that's kind of one of its um one of the features of music that lends itself to politics is that it can be interpreted as having Mm. several meanings
0: Mm. but i guess even through writing a song you know how how much does that actually affect the uh, the voters you know i didn't hear any songs at the time that were expressing a opinion yes or no but i don't know if had i heard that would it have changed my opinion
1: well actually i think you've hit on a good point there um it's very easy to overemphasize the role that music played in the debate and the role that culture in general played um certainly towards like as we neared the actual referendum day i think it would be fair to say that it was mostly just political. And perhaps the cultural events were, yes, they were certainly happening. There was a lot of them happening, but how many people in Scotland did they actually reach? I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, do, I don't think you can kind of think, oh, well, I should have known more about it because, well, it was a very particular bubble of people that were, that were doing it. The referendum was just before I started at Oxford. It was like two weeks before I started there or something. Um, So I just left school. And if I think back now to how much music I was aware of, it was less than I then discovered in my research two years later. So there was a lot going on that I wasn't aware of. Um, I went to some of the events myself. I went to um, National Collective, their Yestival tour in summer 2014 so I went to one of their events on I think it was North Uist we were on holiday in that part of the world anyway and there was a gig on so we went um and then there was another event put on at um gosh I can't remember where it was now but I just remember um Corrine Paul and David Gregg were performing and a lot of other performers as well and that was the night before the referendum day so yeah I, I think I wasn't aware of as much at the time as I then discovered in the research.
0: Uh, Ayla, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, I guess just to wrap up, maybe have you got any projects that are coming out soon or, or that you want to share with us?
1: Yes, so I've got my first single coming out called Cannot Steal The Sound. It's coming out on the 23rd of March and it's a song about how important music has been to all of us during lockdown. Certainly for myself, music has played a big role in helping me to cope and connecting me to other people, albeit virtually. And I think this is something which a lot of people have um, really appreciated in lockdown and the arts in general. So that'll be released on the 23rd of March.
0: Great, look forward to that indeed. Uh, I guess everything else we've talked about today, uh, we can find on your website. Yep. And yeah, it's just, it's been so nice. Uh, Thank you and hopefully see you soon.
1: You too.